Hi guys, welcome to yet another episode of Coronavirus in Africa Daily Updates. Um, this podcast has been created to discuss and um, talk about facts, fiction, myths, you know, current affairs news, um, personal stories concerning COVID-19 in Africa. Um, thank you so far with, um, I'll take that place again. Thank you so much for joining us on the third episode. I hope you guys have um, enjoyed episode one and two. If you haven't listened to it, please check on it and uh, give us your feedback as well. Remember, the email for the feedback is COVID-19 in Africa updates at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be very happy to get your feedback and your comments and personal stories concerning uh, the pandemic in Africa. Um, as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Jibola Lawal. Yeah, Jibola, hi. How are you doing? I'm great, man. By the way, happy. By the happy way, Jibola, be you've been get. I've been I've been getting a lot of feedback on your behalf. Um, <laughs> um, people, people. I think you have. You're already building a, a small fan base. You know, a lot of people are saying Jibola, even though we don't argue. <laughs> yeah, true. A lot, of people, a lot of people are at in Jibola. So it's good to it's good to speak with you again. Yeah. Um on this episode, we will basically be covering um unrest in cities across Africa because of the yeah. lockdown. We've noticed that some cities have started undergoing, you know, some sort of unrest, people, you know, robbing people and the like. So we'll talk about that. We also want to talk about, you know, just discuss some conspiracy theories and rumors. Um that should be very interesting. Um, but before I go further, we have a guest That's your on this episode. Now. Yeah, it is my favorite. Thank you. We have a guest on this episode. Um, I hope I am going to pronounce my his surname properly. David Hondain. David, did I get that right? Yeah, well, close enough. It's actually Hondain, but yeah, sure. Oh, okay. So not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Um, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Um, can you please, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, so um, David Hunden. I'm a writer, a journalist, and what some people will call a commentator, even though I'm not particularly a great fan of that term. And I'm happy to be here. I have written and spoken to some extent about uh, not just the health impact of the uh, novel coronavirus, but also the social and economic impact, which for me was always going to be the major, the, the bigger issue. In a, in a developing area like Nigeria and indeed the whole of Africa. So hopefully I'll be able to share some insights with you today. Awesome. Fantastic, fantastic. Awesome. Um, let's just go, jump straight into it like we always do. Yeah. Um, um, we've talked about, you know, an overview of what COVID-19 is. By now, if you don't know what coronavirus is, I should be worried that yeah, I should be I should be seriously worried about you. So we're not going to go into you know what it is. The symptoms quite simple. We know what it is. There's a bit of coughing, um, cold, um, diarrhea. Some of the symptoms. Any other symptoms, um, Jimola? Yeah. Um. So there's um. Let me see. You have you have the coughing. You have the sore throat then uh, the general malaise like feeling really really tired um mm -hmm. yeah and in really really uh how do you say now in the severe cases severe circumstances organ shutdowns yeah then of course eventually you now have the respiratory distress so what we're finding now is initially uh, 
the general medical thought was that the shutdown in the uh, in the lungs was from oh you know so it's the virus eating the tissue in the lungs but apparently what is slowly being found out is the the virus is hitting some things called the heme groups which manage how the body processes oxygen so think your your red blood cells and think think of them like a pure water sac that carries oxygen everywhere and suddenly the pure water sac is only able to carry viruses so what then happened yeah so that's where we're at as far as symptoms go okay um so just go straight into what's uh, the stats so far total number of infections across the world right now has hit 2 million we have 2 million yeah. 16,020 so we've crossed the 2 million mark total number of deaths has risen to 130,528 and the total recovered 500,254 um, cases in Africa, the infected 17,286, number of deaths registered 3,728, um, number of recovered patients 901. Uh, specifically for Nigeria, total number of infected, uh, as of when I checked last, is 407. Yeah. Total number of deaths is 12, and uh, the total recovered is 128. Um, across Africa, some other countries with top infected cases, 2,506 South Africa, 2,350 Egypt, 2,160 Algeria. I remember on our last episode, Algeria actually was higher. It's interesting to see how Egypt has now, you know, jumped the, jumped one line up. Jumped the queue. Uh, Morocco has risen, yeah, basically, Morocco has risen to 2,024. Cameroon, 848. Um, again, I'm, I don't have a table here to, sh you know, to to look at the steady progression of the growth. But just comparing from what we had last, from the last episode till now, yeah. I would say it's been a steady progression. It's still not as alarming as, you know, the Europe was or the US is, but mm -hmm. it, you can still see a steady progression. I mean, um, <clears throat> so I saw somewhere, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that we had the highest jump in new cases in Nigeria. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, one day to the next, you'd have between maybe between 10 and 14 of new cases. But I believe it was I, over 30. I believe in, in, in the last three four or four days now, the number of cases yeah. has been in the double digits. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So I mean, it, it's right. it's in, uh, I mean, this is this is for you, Osagi. I mean, it's it's interesting of sitting down and then making those um, projections and being alarmed by by what we felt was underreporting at the time, and then it's it doesn't change how alarming it is even now seeing those projections becoming real. I don't know if if you feel that way, sure. I get what you mean, but let's let's yeah. even like let's let's jump into it, right? Yeah. What can reduce this? What can reduce this? Uh, or at least you know, yeah, the word is reduce. Just reduce the spread. Yeah. 
and and I'm asking that the great, I mean, a perfect example, David, you can jump in here as well. The, the perfect example is okay, don't go out and all that. But a lot of people are not being tested. So, how do we really get the numbers? Is it test more? Is that the number one thing or encourage people to actually report themselves at the clinic? Because quite a number of people, I don't know if you've seen those reports, that quite a number of people also have the virus and mm. don't want to report themselves. Like, So how does it work? How do we get the real numbers? To be honest, the only, the only realistic solution for getting the real numbers is aggressive testing. The, the idea that Nigeria has a healthcare system that can permit people to walk into a clinic or a hospital and get tested is something in the realm of fantasy we we all know what nigeria's healthcare system is like and yeah and i think i've I've spent enough time bagging on hospitals and doctors and health ministry or whatnot so i don't really want to come here and do that again i just want to work like as as someone said i'd rather work with the world as it is instead of as as i would like for it to be so the nigerian healthcare system is the way it is that's you know it's it's not great but that's what we have so we have to work with that reality so then the issue now becomes how do we work around what we currently have to scale up our, our testing capacity so if i were the government or if i were the ncdc or someone or a, a regulatory agency with that power i'd be looking at something close to what the south africans have been able to achieve south africa has by far and away the highest rate of testing on on, on the african continent and they've been able to do this because the very the largest part of their strategy involves community outreach. So they actually go into people's homes in the townships and shacks, and so it, not the Sowetos and whatnot, the KwaZulu Natals. They actually have health workers going in there and testing people where they are. Because if they say, you know, if you, if you are feeling symptomatic or if you think you've been exposed or whatever, come in with it, people are not going to come in. This is Africa, you know. People, people, people might not even be able to afford to move around. You know, the, the poverty is actually in my opinion, the biggest single consideration when you're dealing with any issue in sub-Saharan Africa. So we just have to work around that reality. So we should be looking to do something close to what the South Africans are doing. If we have the money, I'd have suggested something close to the South Korean model. But of course, we, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have South Korean money. So <laughs> I, 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 think, I think it's even beyond, it's beyond having the South Korean money as much as it's even it's even a question of the um, efficiency and the attention to detail. Um, it's it's that it's also it's on it's it's a bit unspoken the um, level of technology that they put into they put to work in trying to get all of that in place. And I, I mean, South Korea is is the home of Samsung, and that kind of tells you everything you need to know as far as them being able to apply technology goes. Um, while I agree with David that we should, we should, um, how do you say, that we should work with what we have, I don't even think that what we have as is in the moment right now is is able to uh, rub noses rub noses against um, South Africa. South Africa is able to is able to deploy all of those uh, com community health extension workers to. The, the ghettos of Soweto and KwaZulu Natal because there is a strong and efficient extant um, community health care system. 
it exists. Yes, we have that in Nigeria, but um, how efficient is it? Like it's at the moment, it's it's surviving powered by a lot of help from from of course the usual suspects and uh, i mean there's a whole bunch of brilliant people that i know involved working in that space but even they are groaning so you now add um an additional uh how do you say layer of difficulty to it i don't know um okay i also want to say this right a lot of people will fall ill and the first stop would be their local hospital are these local hospitals already equipped to take in patients, um, diagnose these patients, and hand these patients off to, you know, the quarantine zones or the relevant, uh, you know, hospital departments? Is is that do do the do the hospitals have that set up? Because if not, what would happen is there's potentially an infected person who goes to a hospital. Yeah, he or she can. It, I mean, and once you infect one person in the hospital, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, so what fun fact. In, uh, what what yeah, city was in it? Hubei. Hanoi, the guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Sorry to cut into you. So fun fact, in Hubei, about um, 40% of the cases in a certain hospital were people who picked it up at the hospital. Wow. Mm. Well, that's not. And it it was not, it wasn't even just that's, unique that's to it wasn't unique to Hubei. It happened in Italy as well, and I think Spain also. So yeah, it's to to answer your question. I, I don't know what David's David's thoughts are, but you. Okay, so I'll go with with an anecdote shared by a very very um, close friend of mine. So she she had symptoms. She. She even got, uh, how do you say, she got invited to a, a certain hospital and to get tested. And going by what was shared with me, like picture-wise, I was like, look, if you have malaria now, you'll be walking away with malaria and COVID. Please mm-hmm. leave where you are right now. Because so there was like an open, well, almost open air shed. If 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 you've seen any of those Jack on Day schools, you know the way those poultry classes looked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you had a shed like that, and then there was a bunch of people seated on the benches, like you would if you were at say Ibubi, waiting to see yeah. a consultant. Yeah, and there wasn't any distancing happening, and mm-hmm. I was like, look, me just leave, you dig. So and this is supposed to be one of the places where you're supposed to get tested. I don't know what it looks like at say uh Idiaraba. Okay, so maybe they are they're a bit more frontline in in this fight. But I don't know what it looks like at Bagada General, you see, or or um mainland hospital. I, I honestly don't want to find out. Okay. Um David, do you have any do you have any thoughts on this? To be to be honest with you <laughs> I've always had the 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 mindset in my head that if Nigeria is going to get through this with the minimum damage possible, first of all, a large part of <laughs> a large part of that will be down to luck, because yeah, whether I like it or not, you know, we are just not particularly well prepared for this. <laughs> like, we're just not. 
someone someone said yesterday, I remember reading yesterday that if there's an outbreak in Kano, then I think we can just <laughs> can just close up shop and go home because you know it's a wrap. That's it's a ticket bomb. Yeah. Because like first of all, the, the concept of a lockdown, which you know I have argued extensively that is that is impractical here, is is actually impossible up there because of their unique yeah. their unique social social uh, there. so how how do you want to lock down uh, uh marjories for example so you know if if the hospitals become disease vectors in this pandemic then i really don't you know i don't want to come on this podcast and just be a purveyor of doom so i'd rather just <laughs> leave oh, oh, wow. you so me why don't you <laughs> no, I've, I've, been accused of, I've been accused of being a guy who just constantly doesn't have anything, you know, positive to say. So you know, I well, welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, the picture the picture does not look great. If you know, our our hope is that some way or the other, there's something about our maybe our environment or climate or whatever that can somehow inhibit. The, you know the geometric spread. spread of this virus because if if it spreads here the way it did say in in Wuhan or in uh, in the Lombardy region of Italy then there's going to yeah. be a problem I mean so when I say there's going to be a problem it's not as if like you know people are going to start like dropping dead in the, in the street like flies because as I've said elsewhere uh, something like eighty percent of everyone who gets infected with COVID is completely asymptomatic they don't even know that they have it and it's run its course and they don't even fall sick but the issue is that if it's if it infects enough people then that 20 percent will become a real problem because the healthcare system will be even more overwhelmed than it already is so that's yeah. that's where the real issue is and i don't see what you know what can inhibit that spread if it happens and a lockdown will not do it <laughs> i think we like I've spoken, like I've spoken quite at length about that. Uh, we don't. We have a huge shortage of PPE, that's personal protective equipment for healthcare workers, much less for regular individuals. So, yeah. as usual, we we cross our fingers and we just hope. That's pretty much like that's certainly what I am doing. Yeah, I I mean to to be the ray of sunshine. Um, in, in these dark times, and I, I will, I, I'll, I'll try to please remind me, Asage. Another real sunshine that I want to share is what I think we can, we can walk away with from this uh, COVID situation. But to be a real sunshine, I like David. I'm, I'm of the opinion that we should actually just end the shutdown now. As I said in the last episode, I, I articulated my reasons. Uh, however, I I think we we have to because well for because I mentioned before that we're not handling it right, right? However, there's a small opportunity in what we have now. We can very very quickly and easily conscript a lot of the young guys in in all of these um, high poverty, high density areas in, in the urban places from um, Abekuta to Lagos, the parts of Lagos from Bariga to Oshodi to um, the parts of Alimosho, Ibeda, uh, Agege and the like, right? And let's have them 
make masks that everybody can use. And of course, like I said in the first episode, Czech Republic was able to bend their curve because they instituted the masks for all campaign. So New York is making it compulsory, right? Cuomo signed yeah. the executive order. But with with the Czech Republic, it was more of a voluntary thing. It was almost a social thing. Like it, they had their influencers chiming and you had housewives making masks for themselves and the, the rest of their family. If I'm not mistaken, David, you want to say something? If I'm not mistaken, the South Yes, Korean exactly. South so Korea. yeah, very, very correct. The South Koreans did that. Um, of course, they had South Korea, Taiwan, Japan, they had experience from SARS and MERS, right? And it was a cultural thing to go with masks anyway. Mm -hmm. So on our own part, it's very quickly and easily uh, get, let's get young people making masks for a stipend. You want, you are giving them somewhere to go and something to do. Granted, there's a little bit of skill that goes into making masks, but you know what? It's a separate other conversation that we can that we don't have to address here. But coupling, um, being pragmatic about what we can and can't do, the NCDC. I have to credit them. Um, they are doing a lot of amazing work. Um, as anybody who has listened to me on the post, on the podcast and on social media, it's that. I've, where they've, where they've, um, how, how do I say, dropped the ball, where they were shady with some of the data, I've been very, very clear. And I mean, as of the last maybe one or two reports, they've also opened the doors to being clear and concise about data. You have to credit them with that. But in the management of the situation on ground, like uh, someone was quick to say that, oh, they're new, they're new um, parastatal, so there's only so much they can do. But with that said, the it's it's the lives of 180 million of us, or the lives of between 900 million, um, 900,000 people and 1.8 million people in their hands. If you want to look at the uh, case fatality rate as a as a metric, even with with where we are now. The case fatality rate is 3% in Nigeria. Uh, with that said, so let's let's get young people making masks. Let's get masks into the hands of everybody that we can. Let's get people back to working. Um, the NCDC can continue to try and do their contact tracing work. Uh, we can try to ramp up our testing. However, what I would have advocated for is that the states that have become hotbeds, Lagos, FCT, uh, Ogu to, to a very um, small extent, make them hermetically sealed. So you have, say, 20 million people in Lagos. The maximum number of people that can get infected in Lagos is 20 million. So you keep Lagos insulated. So in such a way as that, instead of locking down, uh, how do you say uh, the instead of locking down, say uh, Ogun that has X number of people, right? You want to keep it localized to okay. So this is a hotbed. Let's let's keep this hotbed singularly hot. So that's in all honesty, with with what we have on ground, that I believe is the best that we can do. So of course, Sweden is is okay. an example. 
on the flip side of lockdown, don't lockdown. Um, an argument can be made that, okay, you know what? Yes, yeah, Sweden hasn't locked down. They are still doing their normal uh, traditions of commerce and living their lives. But nobody's going out to the cinemas anymore. Nobody's spending any length of time at the malls. And the people made those decisions almost unilaterally by themselves, not influenced by the government. But you know what? They are better for it. There's a little bit of control to that and contrary to what your concern is um david with cano um aside from i guess you were light on seeing it aside from say a jumat service uh i don't know that people in areas like that i mean of course given their high density area it's an it's a really high density um metropolis but from what we've seen it's it's almost box to box like People are more likely to get um, infected indoors, in air-conditioned spaces, in, in on the subway, in buses, than um, don't quote me here, but I'd like to think than say at a in an open air space, uh, say no, I, in, I, in the I market. Think that's, I think that's a fair point, actually. Yeah. So yeah. So over to you, David. Okay. Well, me. Oh, no. Okay, so <laughs> the the use of masks, I think, or oh, I don't know that, that we've got to that to that part of the discussion just yet because obviously I'm gonna have quite a bit to say, but I think the yeah yeah I think the, you could you could go ahead to talk about the masks, then we can then do what's in the news and move on to uh, our topics. But please talk about the masks. So if if we had introduce that if you had if you had made that the bedrock of our of our immediate response early on i think we might have been able to to keep the economy going at least so someone someone suggested the other day that a 12 hour or maybe a 10 hour 8 p.m to 6 a.m lockdown a 12 hour 6 a.m 6 p.m lockdown my even though i'm not quite sure the entire concept of a lockdown is is particularly still practical in any way in this environment yeah but maybe maybe that have worked more it would have been more practical than a 24-hour lockdown and then the if you had mandated people wearing masks that that could have gone a long way toward helping country because it's actually been been proven with some degree of certainty that wearing masks actually does inhibit spread it actually does but for whatever reason, we decided that almost from the get-go, we decided, first of all, we decided that we were not going to do anything. So numbers were spiking all over the world, and we kept, you know, yeah. flights, were just, flights were coming yeah, in and going out willy-nilly. And people were not self-isolating. You know, people who were in a position to know better, because obviously the people that fly in and out of Nigeria are not pepper sellers in the market. So people that watch yes. CNN, people that know what's happening, were in a position to know better, and decided consciously that oh, this does not, this is not their business. They're going to do what they're going to do anyway. And the government essentially just sat on its hands, and that's what led us to where we are now. And then, as soon as that policy of sit down your hands failed, the next thing that here was oh, lockdown, 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 and here we are now. I think instead, in much more, in much more rational, in much more proportional response to the threat then would have been first of all to i i don't know if you, if you recall the sort of 
aggressive response that there was to the Ebola outbreak in 2014, where it seemed as if you couldn't walk 100 meters down the street without some kind of hand washing facility here and there. You know, mm-hmm. everywhere, yeah. everywhere, had, everywhere was drowning yeah, in hand sanitizer. There was the information yeah. contained back to back to back. Everybody was being told what to do, how to inhibit the spread. Mm-hmm. I think if we had to do think- that. Do you think that was a result of we hear that um, you know the virus came from somewhere within Africa, and because of the proximity, we were uh, quick to react? Do you think that was why? I think that's that's part of the reason. I think another part of the reason is that Ebola sort of captured the imagination in a much more horrifying way than COVID. Yeah, yeah. You've seen, you've seen the photos of what an Ebola infection looks like. It's not pretty. Yeah. So and I, of yeah. course, the there was the the high fatality rate. Right? Exactly, something like forty five percent. Yeah, closer to fifty seven. So there was that perception that oh, this thing is the is the zombie apocalypse. It's the end of the world. Like, and if yeah. if it if it touches you, you're probably going to die. I mean, you had a one in two chance of dying, so you were actually probably yeah. going to die. So the this, I think first of all, we had we started, and this is part. This in part is not our fault. This is partly because of what the Chinese government did with their with their information mm. management and what the WHO careful, did as well. Careful, careful, because <laughs> initially the you might disappear tomorrow. Careful, <laughs> the information that was put out initially was oh you know, I remember hearing the word flu a lot. Oh, this is uh, yeah. it's a new type of flu. You know, it's not a flu at all. This is not a flu. This is a deadly disease. Like it's a deadly, it's not a flu. This is like calling Ebola a flu. But that's that's what we were told at first. Oh, and then they said, oh, there's no there's no evidence that it's human to human transmission. So I think at the back of our minds, a lot of us have this idea that oh yeah, it's one of these things that pops up in China from time to time. You know, it, it it's this this is their problem. It's not really ours. Meanwhile, this thing was spreading geometrically across the world. And even WHO, for whatever reason, fell into lockstep with China. And you know, even after they knew that there was human-to-human transmission, we're still putting out that message that oh, there's no evidence that there's human-to-human transmission. And you know, so basically, just keep you know, there's nothing to see here. Keep it moving. So I think part of calm people down. Exactly, it made us very complacent. Yeah. So where there would have been an early early response as far back as early February. Everyone just kind of just you know if you I, I don't know if you had the experience that I had, but the experience I had was that the gap between when the penny dropped that okay, people are actually dying in yeah, numbers. This is actually yeah, serious. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and when you know everything was still fine. It was a very short and like, it took like you know, literally like forty eight hours, like you know, my mind completely shifted, like Oh wow! Okay, this is not at all what I thought it was. This is not a flu that you know, you know, black people are going to throw it off because you know, you know yeah, our immune systems are, are used to a harsh environment here. You know, we deal with more germs per capita than almost anywhere else on earth. So, but you know, so it's funny when I hear people say that because I'm the way I see it is that is it not counterintuitive? Like if you've had to fight several wars yes you'd be an experienced uh how do you say now you'd be an experienced soldier but would you not also be fatigued i mean i guess it just it made all of us feel better to think that and then it also didn't help if i'm to use that 
word and I'm, I'm not sure that's the right word to use but it probably didn't help the response that for a long time it seemed as if ah, the numbers are not spiking in africa in fact it's not even in africa at all so maybe do we have, do we have some kind of genetic immunity I, i'm not gonna lie yeah, thought, right. it thought crossed my mind a couple of times because the numbers are not making sense like we don't have any kind of medical capacity we have our preventative health care is not so how come we're not catching this thing you know is it that you know and then i remember seeing some theories from actual published scientists that oh you know some saharan africans lack some dna some cell receptor something 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 that that the covid 19 virus latches onto or something so right. the long and short is that we might not be able to catch this thing yeah. And I think a lot of us had that idea at somewhere at the back of our minds that this thing is not is Chinese and white people's problem. It's, it's, it's not ours. So that obviously didn't help. Yeah. If all through this while the government instead has said, right, everybody needs to start wearing masks, they had mandated a response. Right. I, first of all, that would have inhibited spread. And then secondly, I think if you had walked around and seen everyone wearing masks, I think that might have sort of shifted um flip the switch definitely would have, yeah exactly it, it would have done that to me specifically because i can speak for myself that like i probably didn't take this thing that serious until maybe like the second week of march interesting points interesting points david can you i i think you're tapping your mic so it's kind of making some background noises when Sorry, you're yeah i was i was touching my laptop Aha, please. I know you're passionate here. You're tapping the the keyboard, the keyboard, <laughs> the keyboards and everything. Um, okay, so let's just jump into some news, right? Um, they say the NCDC says 80% of persons with COVID-19 have mild form of it. So it's not very prominent, it's very mild, and they say people can recover with minimal management. Now, you 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 have to, it begs the question of uh can the virus survive in this part of Africa? You know, I've heard, you know, different conspiracy and theories and all that. But you then see things like this, which kind of, um, I won't say support, but, you know, people who have argued for um, the reason that, the reason these things are happening is because the virus can't survive in Africa. There have not been anything to, you know, to, to, to clinically test and confirm or this mm-hmm. or prove you know however you still see people talking about it and i'm not saying towards black people more of it surviving in hot temperatures and you know in sub-saharan africa what's your own take on that guys yeah david you go oh okay well well (laughs) again without any actual scientific information it's very difficult to make comment because Seems as if almost every week there's a different story about what COVID-19 supposedly can and can't do, what it is and isn't. So <laughs> in, this past, this week is airborne. The next week yeah, is not airborne. Exactly, yeah. This week, this week, if if it runs through you, you're immune. Next week, it can be reactivated. <laughs> you fall sick again. Nobody really knows what the hell this thing is. So it's it's difficult for me to make a definitive statement. I think it's a doctor that can do that. However, if if this thing does follow the rules, the transmission rules of anything like any of its predecessors, like because the corona the the virus family called the coronaviruses, which includes even the common cold, 
they have a few things in common. So if it follows those rules, which I don't know that it does, but if it does, then there's an argument to be had scientifically that the temperature and the humidity in this part of the world will inhibit the person-to-person -person spread of this thing. Because such, such viruses tend to move very quickly in temperate regions. I think the, the maximum, the optimum transmission temperature, I believe, was something like 9, nine degrees Celsius, something yeah, in that range. That. So, yeah, and uh, obviously our own average temperature is three to four times that. So, yes. and we're also a lot more humid. So, if it follows those rules, then that might go some way to explain how come our numbers haven't really exploded in the way that you know the world imagined that they would. And actually, in front, even though the NCDC has not done you know all the uh, anything close to the amount of testing that it ideally should have done. I still yeah. kind of, I, I really actually do believe that our numbers are actually not that high because if they were, I think we would have been seeing those grainy Twitter videos of people falling down in the streets and dying. We would have been seeing <laughs> hundreds of those. And we're just not seeing them. These things are just not happening. You know, and if we can, if we can discuss so the theory what's... that we have some kind of innate immunity. Then... So what I suspect is happening what I suspect is happening is that the real community transmission, especially with the with the um, low income population, probably didn't pick up until like a week or a week and a half ago. Um, so let's let's say uh, if if we if we if we think of a thought experiment, somebody lives in Lekki, right, and they grabbed it at work. Their their boss just came back from. Uh, say Stockholm two weeks ago and their boss coughed twice in the conference room and they picked it up and they go home they are less likely to be in contact with that many people so they get an Uber and they go home um, they, they are home let's assume this is a single person living in a three bedroom flat with three other people right or 20 other people as they claim people in Lekki Lake <laughs> so it's it's a little bit more localized with middle income areas than you would find with say uh someone who lives in Moshin and about a hundred people live inside their house. Can anybody hear me? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, we can go ahead. And I think okay, be... awesome. Yeah, so it's it's more localized. Then to, to respond back to what you were saying earlier about us not knowing anything about, uh, if we hear one thing this week, we hear another thing the next week. It's, I mean, from experience, it's the nature of science, like everything that has been researched. And of course, I guess we get the, we get the uh, advantage of being able to look back at, oh, okay, so what is the aggregated conclusion from polio even with polio, there were so many theories, so many papers went out about polio until, until um, okay, so these are the confirmed modes of transmission. Uh, these are the confirmed symptoms. These are, it, this is its mechanism of action. These are its um, vectors and so forth. So yeah. So, but um, hopping right back to where I was, I, I, I'm a bit concerned and like you guys and probably everybody listening in, I'm crossing my fingers that by some snowball's chance in hell, we have 
some genetic advantage or or some environmental advantage that would steer us out of this mess and in all honesty i'm not as freaked out by the health challenges ahead as much as i am by the economic fallout and i'm sure we'll, same, we'll discuss same, a little bit yeah so i'm sure we'll discuss a little bit about that further down the line over to you sergey interesting interesting great comments guys um what else yeah. is in the news we've recorded our highest number of uh um cases New which cases. i believe is 34 yeah. yeah 34 uh double digit of course but even as high this is high 34 in a day is, is really high yeah and like we we all expressed now that you know cases have been found neck deep in the north right like a city you know a city like kano a state like kano um we start to wonder you know what, what will be the level of testing there how many people can they test in a day in those regions one two i'm i'm pretty much afraid that the numbers will start escalating you know geometrically in or exponentially rather in those places so let's uh i'm i'm pretty much i'm i'm scared i'm scared because yeah. david mentioned something how do you tell people in those regions to to stay at self isolate yeah and you know it's not it's, it's funny okay. it's funny you know how they say oh that if you don't learn from history blah 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 it's it's interesting looking at history from like a i'm about to explain why i'm saying this it's it's interesting looking at history from a 20 year distance a 50 year distance you read about say the world war or you read about uh the cold war what do i mean but it's 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 the most in- interestingly beautiful thing to then watch history a couple of weeks apart what do i mean mm-hmm. so i watched iran implode right i watched of course all on social media i watched people in iran get told by their government be aware of this covid thing it's real now right and then you had um religious fanatics right go to a shrine where a cleric was said to have caught this virus and people went there mm. and were licking the shrine and yeah. saying covid does not exist bollocks oh dear, right dear, dear. <laughs> hold on now hold on yeah so guessing david started <laughs> <laughs> and then a friend of mine sent me a twitter link i shared that with you um osage of some yeah. gentlemen in a particular city in nigeria one of the most popular cities right and yeah. some people were they washed their hands together in a bowl and they drank from it oh my god i i laughed i laughed in in the way charles darwin must have laughed when he came up with the word natural selection <laughs> so it's 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 quite interesting it's also it's i mean it, i have to be honest i guess maybe coming from the place of having a value for human life it's also heartbreaking and sad but it's also weird watching history happen up close okay um moving on to something more local this is um lagos state governor Babajide Sonwolu has addressed um the state of security in the city. Um he tweeted this out yesterday, I believe, saying 
Today, the State Security Council met to address the increase in armed robberies and unrest in boundary communities. We have received increased help from the IGO police with a special force already addressing the elements breaching the peace in the affected communities. We have the responsibility of ensuring the securities or the security of lives and properties all of all residents in Lagos. We will not abandon this responsibility at any time. We will definitely see an increase in mobile police deployment in all trouble spots across the metropolis. Our security agencies will intensify um, patrols around residential areas, boundary committee, communities, and other critical areas of activity during this lockdown period. I urge all residents to cooperate with them and thank you for your resilience during this extraordinary time. I think we can just move into like the first, the main, the main topic we have today, which is unrest mm -hmm. in cities. Um, so, of course, the governor of Lagos is addressing the state of security that um, saw, I don't know, Three days pockets of, late. I, I, will I even say pockets, robbery, you know, this is not staged, you know, full-on armed robbery and attacks in several parts of this um, two cities, actually, Lagos mm -hmm. and um, two states, Lagos and Ogun states. Um, we've also seen videos of, you know, similar things happening in South Africa, some parts in South Africa. I saw a video, something happening in Johannesburg, where people came and, you know, vandalized, not even vandalized, they bomb-rushed the supermarkets and they just carted away, um, you know, all groceries, clothes and everything in the supermarkets. This unrest is caused by a lockdown. This lockdown... I would admit I was one of the people that pushed for a lockdown, right? We had this discussion, Jibola, where we said this is the yeah, only thing that it, can reduce the spread but, if we but actually Osage, do this Osage. lockdown. Yeah. Osage, Osage. We, we, we can't take culpability for what we're not responsible for. In all of the conversation around locking down, you you remember even people listening who read my article can remember. I said, look, a lockdown is pursuant to this. Um, how do you say these uh, uh, these ah, why has the word escaped me now these conditions one you do have to provide for the people who would not be able to stock up their homes during a lockdown mm -hmm. it's simple I even outlined oh how on earth are we going to do this we have the capabilities already we're feeding 3 million people every day in Borno State borrow the hands do you get we have green mm -hmm. reserves, right? Access the green reserves. Do this. Feed the frigging people. It's not that difficult. So our uh, angling for a lockdown was based upon that premise. And that's not being done. Hmm. Yeah, so... David, did you yeah. ever advocate for a lockdown? So the thing with me is from the one, because by virtue of the area that I operate in, it tends to focus on yeah. economics and social cultural issues. My, I've always had a very clear understanding of what Nigeria is. And I think this period more than any other is when I've got to understand that a lot of, I don't, I, this is a very broad catch-all term that I don't like using, but I can't think of a better term. So a lot of middle-class Nigerians, or Nigerians who consider themselves mm. middle-class, Really, but they actually aren't. really are not um 
they don't really understand what Nigeria is. They don't really know what the country they live in is. I've really come to understand that this period that a lot of us, we sort of live vicariously through what we see on the, glo the global media that we watch. So if we saw that China, China puts the, uh, their Hubei province into a was it a two-week lockdown i don't and then yeah. if you put the lombardy region into a lockdown new york went into a lockdown and then now yeah london london is in a lockdown so i think that just became like the buzzword solution lockdown you know everyone else is doing it so it, it's almost like it's 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 cool now you know it's the global trend i spoke so much use that word trend to describe this thing <laughs> you know and but from the start, I always had that same. I always had the same question to ask, and that question was never answered. That what actually is the plan in the event of this thing? Mm. I remember having an exchange with someone, and she was like, "Oh, well, how? Are we, what other suggestions do you have for curbing the spread of this thing?" That's the only way people have to stay at home. And then this person talking using like, obviously, this is this is me. I'm not saying this to sort of have a go at people who live in that area, right? She lives in Lekki. She probably lives, she's probably, probably fits the profile of that person you described. Lives in a three-bedroom apartment with two other roommates. Has a nine-to-five office yeah. job. Has her own car. You know, when she wants to get water, she goes to the kitchen or the bathroom and she turns it turns a knob and water comes out of the device called a tap. Yeah. This person has no idea that they are real, what they know as reality and what the real country of Nigeria, what ninety percent of Nigeria out there knows as reality are two completely different things that have nothing in common. Mm. Mm. Like if you were to put her in in Makoko or in Bariga, she would have no idea what is going on. And if it takes her from Makoko or Bariga and put them in her life, this will be a fish out of water. They are completely the two, mm -hmm. the two halves of existence in this country just do not meet. And I maybe I know this because I've been lucky enough to live on both sides of the spectrum. So I have a very clear insight mm. into what how people actually live. I asked, for example, that are you aware that all those vulcanizers, roadside mechanics, uh, bus conductors, drivers, do you do you know that these guys technically are homeless? They don't actually have a place to sleep at the end of the day, like that they go to. They sleep in their vehicles. They sleep under the bridges. They sleep in their shops. They sleep in makeshifts. Like niggas have a very Most huge problem. Yeah, Lagos has a very huge urban homeless problem, which we just don't acknowledge because well, it's been like that for decades. So if you say you're going to lock down, what, where are you going to lock them down to? And I remember asking this question, are you going to lock them down to prison? What are you going to do with these people? And then even the ones who actually do have places to sleep, have you seen what those places look like? Like what? What we what, when we, you know one of our contemporaries talks about you know getting a place. They're thinking of, of of a flat, you know, with parking space, you know, that kind of consideration. The, the real Nigerians out there, because I, I, I always point out that we have about 8% of Nigeria's population, just 8%, according to w, the, the World Bank figures, which state that only 8% of Nigerians, Nigerians make the equivalent of 60,000 naira a month and above. So 92% of the country out there, so that 92% home, is a place that looks like somewhere in in Adekunle, in Yaba, or somewhere in uh, Lafayette on Lagos Island. Mm -hmm. high, high density, five-story buildings where that building can have 200 people living inside it. 
and each floor has yeah. one, one kitchen and one toilet so you have 10 family sharing sanitary facilities so if you are if you say you're locking down that area really all you're doing is you are creating potential disease hotspots because even, even if you can avoid covid you are you are incubating new diseases that's what you are doing so when you say you are locking locking down what does that mean like did anyone actually sit down and walk through this point by point that is there any if we keep these people indoors even the ones who have an indoors to stay in how yeah. how exactly does that help our situation was that consistent was that calculation ever made it seems as if it wasn't so from the one my my concern has always been the social the social impact of this lockdown that by the time we take people's livelihoods away you know being like us we use terms like oh stock up you know i remember the day before the lockdown actually began i was i was at uh, i was at the shop right at at uh, ikeja city mall i was an almighty queue outside you know with social distancing and it took like 20 minutes to get into the supermarket itself and when you got in like oh, yeah. literally like the four staff were struggling to restock because everything was just mm-hmm. getting empty everyone was just grabbing stuff off the shelves like it was it was like it was mm-hmm. christmas right and then you know if you literally just take a step outside of the city mall and just look across the road at the other people who you know waiting at the bus stop or whatever they were literally just staring at the spectacle unfolding in front of them like they like they didn't understand it like who are these mm-hmm. aliens from another world doing this thing mm-hmm. called panic shopping what is talking up you know what like, is what panic you shopping <laughs> you know like so these these are people who probably if you were to if you were to check their, their if you had open their phones and check their their text message threads and and see their their alert you see their bank balance will be like maybe they'll be like five thousand six thousand nine inside tops you know they're just they're just getting by and that's what the majority of nigeria actually is the majority of nigeria does not make a hundred two hundred three hundred thousand a month you know and be able to plan their month plan their lives through two three four months at a time or a year at a time majority of nigerians plan their lives a day a week at a time that's just just it. So when you say we are locking down, we are taking away these people's ability to earn an income. What is the plan? And then that now brings me to the second issue, which is that of this thing called palliative. The Nigerian government has this very bad habit of being very dishonest with itself about what it has the capacity to do. To do. Even if you had the organizational capacity to distribute palliatives to 92% of Nigerians, which obviously we do not have, we, we don't have the money. That's the key thing. So because I, I heard a lot of, oh, you know, they announced lockdown without providing palliatives for us. And I don't know how to tell the people saying this thing that there is no palliative for you. There is no palliative for you. They, at best, they will find a couple of billion naira here and there. But that that sounds like a lot of money on paper. In practice, when you divide it by the hundred million people, it's nothing. You know, the EU announced that they're giving Nigeria the equivalent of twenty-one billion naira yesterday, a few days ago, and some people were saying, "Yeah, you know, use these funds." And I did the calculation for someone that if you divide twenty-one billion naira by hundred million Nigerians who live under the poverty line, statistically, that gives each person the grand sum of two hundred and ten naira. What is that going to do? Hmm. We don't have the budget. Let's to do move this. to <laughs> let, let's 
let's let's move to security, right? Do yeah. we do we all agree that there is a direct, not indirect, but there is a direct correlation with the lockdown and the increase in crime? I think anyone who I think anyone who, who who disagrees with that is is living is living in yeah, I've read a lot about this. Oh, you know, you are siding with criminals, you are encouraging criminality, and that is like I don't want to leave an off-color term on your podcast, but that is, I mean, are we being serious here? <laughs> this is basic sociology. If if poverty rates go up and they do so very sharply and very unexpectedly, then crime rate will also yeah. shoot, will also skyrocket. This is and this is not a Nigerian thing. It happens everywhere. As you said, this happened yeah. in South Africa. This happened, in, this happened in the US. This happened everywhere. This happened in Italy. We had people rioting a few yeah. weeks, a, a few days back in Italy. Uh, yeah. They're breaking into stores because apparently the money they had had run out, their food supplies had run out and they didn't need to eat. They had gangs of Italians, you know, breaking into stores and whatnot. And then we had the Italian mafia, mafia getting involved. You know, this, this is the reality. So this, so. There isn't any need to act like, oh, you know, if if you say something that is obvious, then that means so you are somehow siding with, you know, I, I'm not siding with one million boys in Agege or with or with Awawa boys, of course not. But the truth is that these people were, it's the reality of things. These yeah. people are always going to eat, whether you like it or not. Before yeah. you knock down, they were doing all sorts of things. Some were doing honest work. Yeah. So driving kekes and and uh, doing bus conductors or all that kind of some of them those guys are stand at the bus stops and extort money from bus drivers all sorts of things it's an entire ecosystem of you know mm. hustles that keep cash in circulation in Lagos that keeps that keep people that keep that puts food in people's stomachs and once you disrupt that you will be prepared for the fallout and that is what is happening so this whole oh you know they are criminals and there's never any excuse for criminality sure there's never any excuse for criminality we know that but i mean if the u.s justice department can link poverty the poverty of the african-american community with the increased crime statistics of the african-american community and contextualize it as not a racial issue or a cultural issue but an economic issue then i don't know why we are here pretending that there's any difference here don't you also feel that, uh, don't you feel that some of these, you know, robberies have been just very well coordinated? Yes, and that raises the second point, which is that there, are, oh, there is obviously an element of cultism and organized crime, which has been waiting for yeah. some kind of opportunity, which again mm -hmm. is why before we do something called a lockdown, you really have to do an economic and environmental impact assessment. You don't rush into policy decisions like this. When these when these decisions were made, was anyone dispatched to let's say the local government chairman in Agege to get his take on this thing? Like if we if we lock down yeah. Agege, how what do you think the impact on what the do you think here? the impact is going to be? No, someone just sat in Abuja and just read out a speech from a high place. I said, anything, anything when I want to know, I do. If I want to kill myself, I want to kill myself. How does that work? How is that democratic? First of all, mm. you know, and then mm. in terms of protecting people, which is the oath that you have sworn, how does that protect your your citizens when you have, you have not performed the research, you have not done the consultations to ensure that any decision you take 
it's not going to hurt them. It's not going to hurt them uh, economically, and it's not going to make them lose their lives. You know, people have actually died over these past few days. Women have gone raped. And this was a completely avoidable thing. You know, but some people just sat in Abuja and just decided over everybody's heads that we're going to lock down X, Y, Z, and that's it. You don't, and you have no, no, no feedback, nothing. That's it. We've decided it here. That's the end. Go home and die. That can't be right. And so this makes it like it is, this. This makes it be look like the first wave of, you know, reactions to the lockdown. If that the if we say that okay, it's organized. Maybe there are some organized crime behind it and all that. What then happens in the second wave where people who are not in gangs, you know, a father of uh, maybe three kids is not in a gang, but there's nothing for him to feed on because he's a local mechanic. He's not been able to fix cars in the last four weeks, right? He now also yeah. he's now sort of motivated to go out. I believe that is even the second wave of, you know, robberies or you know reaction to the lockdown. I, I guess I guess that's what will happen because you know, what we are seeing now just the first wave. Yeah, yeah, you're right in saying it's a first wave in that. And to be honest, when it started to happen. Uh, I had, a, I had conversations with a couple of my friends and I was like, look, I don't think you guys have any real thing to worry about yet because so you say you live in Maryland, you live in uh, Palm Grove Estate, you live in Yaba. So I'm even talking about the moderately middle class areas, right? What... Mm -hmm what for me what the concern or what the concern should have been is that you haven't heard any real incidences in those areas one and that should give you a little bit of worry because again the bulk of the people who live in those places don't they they have they probably have a time horizon of one to two days because that is how they earn their money right mm -hmm. and then you've you've put them out of work for over two weeks and you are going to put them out of work for a further two weeks and there's no light at home uh the rice at home is running out and so what's going to happen so what i mean you you naturally expect that the silence we're experiencing now is the silence before the storm. So as we've seen with the 1 million boys and the organized crime um, uh, elements amongst us, there's a clear opportunity. You have a captive audience and you can take from them and there's only so much that they can do. So what you would then see going forward is a frustrated, hungry group of people who do not care whether they live or they die anymore because guess what they've lost everything god help you people start to drop off like flies and and then they they almost have nothing else to live for that is when they'll come back come out and while okay so everybody knows where tunubu's house is who knows where um um Sonwolu lives it's the people that they see every day that they consider as rich that they are going to come out and eat for breakfast. That's my take on it. David, over to you. Well, I mean, he has, he has pretty much said it all. The only, yeah, thing, ahead, the, only, the only thing that I would add to that is that 
people who uh, who are desperate to sort of separate themselves from sociological reality by saying, oh, these are criminals and blah, 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 should also understand that. And it's something that I wish a lot more Nigerians would understand, particularly the ones who, as he said, are in the immediate environment of these people and these people consider them to be rich. I wish more Nigerians would understand that. Just because you have some minute or middle-class existence, you have a car, you watch DSTV, you know, you live in a two-bedroom flat, you, you have a nine-to-five job, that does not <laughs> that does not make you in any way an elite at all, in any way. You are still poor. You're just poor at a higher level than the person living in face me and face you or the, or the homeless person. I wish my journalists would understand that. <laughs> I, agree. I, I totally agree it, with you. It's, it's, it's the truth, though. He's saying the I truth. That, and fun, fun thing, fun thing for you to my, note. No, you yeah. go, Asagi. No, I've said it. My brother keeps saying this thing to me that, see, guys, we need to be very careful with this definition of middle class. It is non-existent. There's yeah, rich and there's yeah. poor. Then there's you're one health care away from being poor, <laughs> which being is, poor, yeah. you know, which is where the middle class or the imaginary middle class kind of floats. What is unfair is how the middle class is most times the ones that are targeted with, you know, the option to buy everything. So the middle class is looking at online shopping. They are the ones going out mm. to the malls. It's almost like advertising mm. is concentrating on those same people. Not really the yeah. rich guy, right? Not really the poor person. True. But, you know, yeah, most times, most advertising is just, you know, targeted towards this same imaginary middle class group. Yeah, correct. So what I was even going to add to to what David was saying earlier is that what is interestingly peculiar about the design of of Lagos, whether it was deliberate or by natural design, if you can point at any middle class um, settlement in Lagos, and I can yeah. point at the slum right next to it or in close proximity to it, Hmm. As a fun experiment, David um, uh, Osage, you can you can throw random places in Lagos at me, and I can tell you they are accompanying slum. Interesting. Uh, let me start off. I'll start. I'll I'll say. I'll say what part of I'll say MKO Abiola Gardens that area. MKO Abiola Gardens. Where is that? Okay, so that's um. Yeah, you have Ojodu, you have um, you have the K two, so K two K two would easily serve MQ Abiola Gardens. K two would easily serve um, your Magodo, your mm. Magodo Phase Two, all of those places. Mm. And K two boys are very very mobile. DC, Shangisha. If you if you look at Obalinde, I'm sorry, if you look at Ikoyi, you Southwest Ikoyi, you very easily have Obalinde. If you look at mm. uh, Lekki Phase One, uh, they are served very, very exclusively by by uh, what is London <laughs> place or Osaka London. Osaka London. Jack on Day. Bro, bro. So like, <laughs> if 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 you so think you are safe in, in Bagada, there's Bariga, there's Shomo, there's Uwuru. You dig? So it's. It's 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 the weirdest thing, and guess what? The truly rich are insulated. Like if you if you are not familiar with with them, 
if you are not familiar with with banana island you don't know where to pass my brother if you don't if you are not familiar with park view you miss that train yeah. easy and half of yeah. them half of them have have, have helipads at home anyway so god <laughs> bless you gc which is again, so which again is, what, is, is, is what i was driving at that i wish uh you know people like us who stay in Ogudu, stay in Egbeda, we have a decent-ish life there. I wish we would understand that, first of all, uh, we are not at all removed from the reality of the country around us. And that, unfortunately, unfortunately, we will be the target. And then, even, even more importantly, that we ourselves, given the right stimulus, given the right uh, accident or circumstances, we'll be just like them too. If push comes to shove, and let's say the lockdown is extended, God forbid, for let's say another two months, and then you know, everybody, everybody, then we know that everybody is feral. That's why we will not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, the, the bag of rice at home will, will run out. You know, the freezer we stocked yeah. up will empty. Yes, yeah, so it's not even going to take two months. So yeah. it's not even going to take two for that month so, of the lockdown. Yeah. Mm. So you know, before changing for for policies that, that are going to hurt people, we should always consider yeah. that we ourselves, eh? <laughs> it, it's too, we're not we're not insulated from it. it no, it, we're not. It makes more, just a little, and we will get caught up in this thing too. So I mean, so what what we're seeing, what we're seeing is a product of a, a whole bunch of people in our generation lacking a lacking two senses one a sense of self-awareness on the one hand and then a sense of situational awareness yeah. and i'm not even saying like situational awareness from the perspective of security i'm even saying like social situational awareness uh, situational awareness in that your proximity to the next um income block and your proximity from the next income block and it's weird because there is no there's no reason for it like why and the why boils down it boils down to an issue that i always have which is that the nigerian um intelligentsia or the people who consider themselves to be nigerian intelligentsia they are very heavy on this thing called social signaling where everything is about trying to attain some status within a group you know signal that you are a certain class of person that you actually are not so that you can get but how do you how do you how do you signal how do you signal when you are struggling to pay for your internet like things we do every day and this is this is when we now understand that everything everything is linked everything is linked so uh the the fact that we are willing to to uh to be photographed on Instagram at you know, hanging out at some nightclub when we're struggling to pay our house rent at the same time is directly linked to the fact that you know we're challenging for a lockdown that we saw on CNN when you know we're living next door to people who might attack us if if they don't make money today and tomorrow you know but everyone is just living in their own little silo and you know presenting a face to the world that is not factual that is not true. And at times like this, we now understand that everything is linked, and that being a, that's a societal insistence on self-deceit, 
you know, and putting up a poker face. Eventually, it's going to hurt. It's going to have real economic and social consequences if people don't develop a class awareness and the place that, as as you said, is self awareness that this is where I am. This is what I'm to do. I mean, it's it takes a, it takes a, a certain measure of I think not just self awareness, but also humility and intellect, intelligence to be able to accept, to first of all understand where you are and to accept it. You know, I, I remember when I moved out of, of my dad's house in 2015, you know, I grew up in a, you know, you know, significantly privileged environment and I moved to Bariga and it was the biggest culture shock ever. That was where for the first time I understood that people fetch water in Lagos. Hmm. People don't, people uh, don't what bubble were you living inside? <laughs> I was not, I was raised in Ogudujeri where you know everything is again it was a different world. You know, and then I moved here and you know, if you want to have water, first of all you have to buy a big drum. You know, and then you yeah. carry buckets and jerry cans and go and fill it and stuff. And that three years I spent there, I think, was very important for understanding what it means to be a Nigerian and for understanding that mm. if you grow up, if you are familiar with a very tiny pocket of privilege. You have, you know, that means you actually don't know anything about the country that you live in. You literally know nothing. And in the eyes of the world, unfortunately, you know, no matter how, how rich your father is or whatever, you are just a Nigerian. In the eyes of the world, you are Bariga. You are not Victoria Island. Because the majority of Nigeria is more Bariga than Victoria Island. But, you know, overwhelmingly. That's, that's, just the, that's just the reality, whether you like it or not. So... Going back to the, the issue of, of a lockdown, I would like to think that going forward, after this, we would understand that anytime we are in a position to advocate for or to influence national policy, we should always understand that decisions have consequences. These things have costs. So whether it's a it's a healthcare policy like a lockdown, whether it's a decision to support a candidate during an election campaign, whatever it is. Who the sort of Twitter using, you know, media consuming classes in Nigeria who consider themselves to be middle classes, because that's the closest proxy there is to a middle class in Nigeria, their media consumption habits. Who in that category should be able to properly con- understand where we stand and contextualize our decisions in the context of the wider country that we live in? I stopped doing that bubble thing that we've been doing that, oh, you know, we, we saw something in Lombardy. So that means it's going to work in Lagos. I remember I was speaking to someone who this person lives in Shangotedo, you know, she went to Atlantic Hall with their schoolmates and all that. So, and I would consider her to be a friend actually. And she kept on going on and on about, oh, you know, we don't have a choice, tough decisions, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I kept on trying to explain that hey, people are gonna die because of this thing. Like yeah. people, there's a, in the real world out there, people actually starve to death. Like it's a thing, it happens. You know, people don't have a nuclear button to push, you know, a, a relative to call or something, you know, like this is real. And she said, well, you know, we all have to make tough choices that what would you have done and blah, blah, blah. And then I showed her a tweet. <laughs> I showed her a tweet from the wow, director. It's such a dick thing to say. <laughs> I felt that quite a bit. I showed her a tweet from the director general of the UN, Dr. Tedros, saying, well, actually, lockdowns in, poor, lockdowns in poor countries uh, may not be practical and the government should explore other things. And I showed her that tweet and she just went completely quiet. She had nothing to say anymore. The argument mm-hmm. ended there. So what that told me was that the entire thing about lockdown, lockdown, lockdown was again was, was signaling 
So once you once you present once you present a, a trigger signal, then that's it. The conversation is over. It's all about signaling. It's not because if you if it was really based on real conviction, then whether I DG said it or not, wouldn't change because you can still disagree with WHO DG. But in this case, ah, this guy has spoken, you know, the, the guy the blue tick has spoken, so you know, that's yeah. end of story. So it boils down to that, you know, everyone is trying to see show the world that you know I belong to this you know, this enlightened group of people because I'm priority something that I saw on CNN. Yeah, and I wish we would stop. I really wish we would understand that, you know, it's, I'm not here saying, you know, you know, they're preaching some kind of kumbaya message that, oh, love your countryman as thyself. You don't have to love your fellow Nigerians. But you have to understand that you are, whether you like it or not, their, their destiny and yours are inextricably linked. Whether you like them or not, whether they like you or not, Unfortunately, the mm. fact that you all share the same passport means that your your destinies are commonly linked. So if you are making yeah. a decision, everybody has to be carried along. And if you do something that results in, you know, <laughs> the purge, you, you are not going to survive it because you are heavily outnumbered. I explained to someone the other day that whether you live in VI or Korea or Lekki or whatever, you don't even have to go to Balende or Agungi or wherever. Even inside those places, the gate men, the drivers, what not, the drivers, they outnumber you three to one. If there ever comes a time when there is all-out class warfare in Nigeria, you are not going to last. We have to eat the rich. Mm. You understand? Mm. You are not going to last a few minutes. So you really need to stop acting as if your your destiny is separate from everyone else's. It isn't. That's why there's such a thing as a social contract. There will always be rich. Mm. There will always be middle class. There will always be poor. Right? That's a normal human yeah. phenomenon. But there has to be a social contract which states that everybody plays a certain role in society so that everybody can survive and everybody can eat. They need to break that social contract as we are doing now and saying, please lock down so that us who consider ourselves to be privileged can survive. And then all of you can mm. starve can starve today. That's your problem. They need to break that social contract. Then you start having crises like what we are seeing in the past few days. And by the way, this is like a really, really mild manifestation of such crisis. Really mild. I think because we don't really have that much of a, a sort of protest or civil disobedience culture in Nigeria historically. True. If we were like say the South Africans, I think it would have been a lot more violent. It would have been a lot worse. Yeah. I also believe that this is a precursor of sorts. Like the people are, are hungry, but I don't know that they are because guess what, David, once once a group of people are hungry enough, there is no limit to what they will destroy, so to speak. Okay, hmm. that's uh, that sounds very gloomy. Sounds very gloomy. How do we get Thank out of you. this? How do we get out of this? Two options. First option: provide relief materials for people, enough relief materials for people to be able to use. Right, that's the first option. Um, we've seen that kind of play out, and we've seen videos of you know people who have said they received very um limited uh, relief materials you know in their neighborhoods and uh, there's a video of somebody taking follows of bread to a street there's also yeah, another video so of uh, i think i just, literally just one you know paco sack of rice beans and uh, uh gari and two sachets of uh tomato <laughs> tomato paste you know to feed 33 houses on the streets so that's not working. 
And I think we, what we've discussed in the past is that, okay, so do we lift this lockdown and turn it into lift a curfew? And do the no mask, no movement policy? Does that work? Wouldn't that increase the, the spread a bit? The second option on paper probably has it on paper because again the first option as we all know is unworkable the second option might very well result in a slight increase in cases on paper it's unknown what the actual yeah. what the actual result will be because this is nigeria there are thousand and one variables that we don't even know that they exist yeah but yeah. when you consider when you consider when you know the other the other externalities of both decisions then yeah, there's Social economic angle. There's only, only one winner because first of all, we do not have. You, I remember you talked about the granaries, the strategic reserves. These things sound good on paper until you realize that the strategic reserves of grain in Nigeria have the capacity to last the country approximately 48 hours. <laughs> so it's really not as much as you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Which food. And, and that's if one salio has a exactly so you know we need to i'm i'm currently i'm i'm quite close to someone who is the chairman the chairperson rather of the of the one billion naira fund the uh it's called the coronavirus the uh, coronavirus intervention fund which is under the victims support fund uh, her name is uh, so she's the chairperson of the fund so this week they're going around seven states in nigeria so lagos ogun FCT, Yobe, Adamawa, Taraba, and Borno to distribute relief materials worth 1 billion naira. And if you see the inventory, then you will understand that 1 billion naira is not a lot of money, and that Nigeria does not have a lot of money because that, with that 1 billion naira, they're getting 50,000 bags of rice, 50,000 bags of beans, salt, vegetable yeah. oil, uh, uh, dental, soap, that kind of thing. And really, for I think they're targeting a total of 200,000 households with that, with 1 billion naira. 200,000 households. In how, many, in how many states? In seven, just seven states. So, so with, with which money are you going to distribute relief materials to the whole country? You can't. So just lift the lockdown, institute the no-national movement policy, and understand, to have the humility to understand that Nigerians for a long time have been their own government anyway. In Nigeria, they are not the people that have, you know, high expectations of governments. So as long as they have the opportunity to hustle for themselves and to survive, yeah. they will survive and they will keep it moving. They will keep it pushing. They are, they are not going to constitute themselves into a disturbance. So it's best to just have that on that understanding of where you are and just work with that reality. You know, sometimes that state intervention, especially in a place like Nigeria that does not have the capacity, <laughs> it's a joke. All right, thank you so much, David. Um, do you guys have any, any in conclusion? Do you have any points you want to raise? Osage. Yeah, I'll send in conclusion. Do you guys have any points you want to raise? Okay, I actually uh, thought that, that that was Jibola talking. Okay, uh, uh, I'll let Jibola go first. Oh, no, no, you go, you go. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, uh, just. It's a mission of everything that I said, really. Uh, the lockdown obviously is not going to be lifted, so I think that's that's a moot point at this point. But just for academic purposes, and mm -hmm. you know, in case there is such a thing as a second wave, which I really hope does not happen, 
the proper policy response will be a curfew and a no mask, no movement policy, and also an aggressive, an aggressive scale up of our testing capacity, our testing and isolation uh, capacity. I think that's that's pretty much it. And also, we also need to also take a look at our uh, national disaster preparedness. Because what mm -hmm. this has showed us is that, God forbid, if there is some kind of natural disaster in Nigeria and we need a, a state's response, you know, to actually keep people alive, we're all going, we're all going to die, <laughs> literally. Yeah. So that, that needs to be looked into. I, I know the, the current guys in power might not necessarily have, have that at the top of their priority list. But again, I, I don't think at the start of this year, none of us had something called coronavirus <laughs> in our mm -hmm. in our consciousness mm -hmm. at all. And it has just come and the yeah, world Yeah, exactly. And the world has just completely changed. And we don't know if it's if it's if it's ever going to be the same again in just a space of three months. Sure so so that's how these things can just creep up on you. So we need to be more prepared next time. Totally, yeah, totally, totally, totally. So, totally so, so out of curiosity, I want to ask: What, when you say a curfew, what does that entail? So that's so what what the Kenyans are doing, for example. So I, I think between uh, between seven p.m. and five a.m., no movement whatsoever is, is allowed in, in, uh, in Nairobi and in uh, Mombasa. So, so what does that do? Because the core business hours, anyway, would would likely be between. Um, seven, eight in the morning, and so. But, but the, 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 the idea is that during the day it's easier to enforce and to monitor uh, social distancing, you know, wearing of masks, mm. that sort of thing. And nice, okay. and nice. That may that may not be the case, especially with regards to nightlife. People going to nightclubs and standing, you know, hundred people on the dance floor, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. So by by introducing a curfew, yeah, you are you are preempting all of that. So, yeah, so okay. everybody's in the houses. So that's at least on paper, that's how it's supposed to work. Obviously, this is Africa, so it ends up being some people paying bribes to police and whatnot. But well, of course, of course. Okay, Jibola. Yeah, I mean to conclude, as as you know, I I I I've seen firsthand that we're we don't I, I do not believe that we have what it takes to be able to to be able to execute a shutdown as it should be done and to to get the maximum utility out of it. So there's no point delaying delaying any further. At this point on the road, we've we've again also missed the bus on on being able to effectively um, uh, what's everybody saying? Is it bend the curve now or flatten the curve? We're, at this point on the road, we're we're left in the hands of Inshallah, blood of Jesus, and and what now? And the and the lightning of Zeus. Uh, Every, everything I in say, between. Yeah, you dig. So at, at this point, I'm just like, you know what, let, let's all get back to work. Let the poor man, let the poor man earn, let him eat. The, beyond this April, a lot of people are going to get fired because the same way Nigerians are living hand to mouth, a lot of Nigerian businesses from small, from micro to small to medium scale. I will invoice to invoice, yes. 
God bless you, invoice to invoice. I was even going to say hand to mouth as well. So I don't know that a lot of Nigerian companies are going to be able to pay salaries beyond end of April that we'll meet in two weeks. So let's, and like I said in the last podcast, rather than continue to take chemo for a cancer that has metastasized, let's shoot the control machine. Thank you so much, Jovala. And yeah, there man. you have it, guys. David, thank you so much for being our guest today. We can't discuss our third topic or our second topic, conspiracy theories, because of the time we spent an hour and a half. And we, we don't want to make this podcast too long, even though we know yeah. you guys are not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm talking about our audience. Anyways, um, <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, again. David, I mean, they're not going anywhere. They're stuck with us now. It's not like you have anywhere to go. Oops. You know, um, David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hopefully, you know, we have you back to discuss some other, you know, interesting points as well. Jubala, it's always a pleasure thank having you for having me. And discussing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, always a it's great, great, great stuff, great stuff. And, um, I, and I hope, um, you know, the back and forth on uh, social media uh, don't always get to you that much. <laughs> it comes with the turf. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh-huh. I think by now, like he enjoys the the bloodbath. I I don't I don't think he enjoys it. <laughs> it's true. It can I don't be very, very, very... It, but but it, you know, mm. as <laughs> to put a popular meme, it is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much, and thank you guys for listening. Thank you for you know listening to this third episode. Please, I've seen the ratings and um, the, the, the reviews on, on Apple Podcasts and the other streaming apps where you guys actually listen to the podcast. So thank you so much. Please don't stop. Share with a friend. Share with people. And um, if you want to write us, it's Corona. Um, I believe it's, yeah, what's the email again? It's COVID-19 in Africa updates at gmail.com. COVID-19 in Africa updates at gmail.com. You guys can actually write us your personal stories. Let's know what's going on through your mind. Let's know what's going on through, you know, with your family and how you are navigating through these corona times. Thank you so much. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode.